It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today. Uh, I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian, and we're taking your calls and questions all throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us radio at agphd.com if you've got a soil test or a picture or that type of thing. Email works great, and you can always call as well if you email something in and follow it up with a phone call and say, all right, I just sent you my soil test. Let's talk about it. That would be fantastic, too. We're getting so close to spring here, especially as the warm-up has happened through much of the country where the fields are starting to to get in shape. Brian, I was talking to a, a farmer that said, well, we had 14 inches of snow here not too long ago. We're still trying to get rid of some, but we don't have much snow left other than in the ditches here. Things are things are looking pretty good out in the fields. Well, yeah. I mean, the field conditions would say go, but the calendar obviously says no. It's February. I had a guy I was talking to this morning. He goes, yeah, I'm going to maybe pour some cement next week. I'm like, well, no. <laughs> Come on. I get it that you want to do all these outdoor projects now because the weather looks nice and everything. But let's keep in mind, it's February and it's South Dakota. The weather can change at, at the drop of a hat. And all of a sudden, we might go back to 10 below zero like we had just over a month ago. So, yeah, I'm super optimistic, though, that we've gotten rid of the snow. That's very exciting. It's just, let's keep in mind, it's still pretty early. March is the month we get the most snow in this region of the country. So we're still expecting some winter weather. But I'm glad that people are excited about farming this spring and getting ready to go. So we have been getting a lot of questions in to the Ag PhD mailbag, and we're going to get to those right now. It's the mailbag! All right, uh, this one comes in from Tristan down in Kansas. Hey guys, a couple general questions here. If your soil is excess in calcium, like 90% base saturation or 5,000 parts per million of calcium. Would applying magnesium balance that out and then drop that percentage of calcium down? What would you guys recommend besides doing tiling out in this field? And then my next question is when it comes to CEC or cation exchange capacity. Wait, 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 wait. Let's take one question at a time. So the, the first question is we don't know if you have free or excess lime, they'll call it, or not. So there is a test, like Midwest Labs runs an excess lime test. With Neil Kinsey and what he does, they run a cation displacement test. Either way, we're going to have an idea if the calcium that's in your soil is all being held by the soil or if there's a whole bunch that's just sitting out there floating in space. If it's floating in space, which it sounds like it may be, but again, I don't know, I'm just guessing, if it's sitting there floating in space, then you got to put tile on the ground. You just have to put tile on the ground. And eventually, you're going to lower that calcium level. It's going to start flushing out with different minerals that are moving through that soil. But drainage is the whole key. So putting more magnesium on isn't necessarily going to help because right now the soil has everything it can hold and then some. There's all this free stuff sitting out in the soil is my guess. If it was just calcium, all held to the soil, and there was no free lime or excess lime, well then, sure. I mean, you could put some magnesium out there because your magnesium percentage right now is real low, and magnesium is tremendously important for plants. You have to have some in that soil. 
All right. What was that next question? Cat Angst Well, the second one, the reason I wanted to read them both is because they kind of tied together a little bit since we're talking about potentially excess Lyme. The second question is cation exchange capacity. What are our numbers that we would say would differentiate soils in terms of management there? We often talked about light soils, heavy soils, those types of things. What, what numbers do you look at? Yeah, it's just, okay. So if it's less than 10, we usually call that a light soil. 10 to 20, we figure it's kind of a medium textured soil. Above 20, heavy soil. And the reason why we want the number, why we want the cation exchange number, is because we've talked to farmers for years. Even the last three days, Neil Kinsey was up at our place at the Morton Center, had lots of farmers there, had lots of farmers watching online as well. It was great. But I talked to several farmers that go, yeah, I got this sand. And I go, wait, wait, wait. What's your cation exchange capacity? Well, it's 22. And I go, that's not sand. I go, for you, that might be sand. He goes, well, yeah, because I got some 30, 35 CEC. Okay, so we need to know a number. And the reason why is because if it is 20 and above, then it's going to hold a lot of stuff. It can hold much more nitrogen. It, it is barely ever going to leach out potassium. It can hold herbicides better, everything. So we need to know what the number is. But anyway, if there was excess lime or free lime, the cation exchange capacity is going to be overstated. And the reason why is this. Rather than using a hydrometer to actually measure how heavy your soil is, most every lab uses the more economical method of cation exchange capacity calculation. So all they do is look at the total number of cations that are held, which includes calcium, and they say, all right, well, this is what your soil is holding. Well, if it's free lime or excess lime that's just floating there in space, it's not being held by the soil. So the lab runs a number, and they think there's more holding capacity than there really is. So if you ever have a medium or high score on your excess lime test, that's telling you for sure your cation exchange capacity is overstated. And then if you want, you could run that cation displacement test that Neil Kinsey has done, and then you can see, okay, what is the actual number? All right. All right. Um, next one, and I'll, I'll launch the question here, and we can dive into it uh, after the break. This one comes in from John over in southeast Minnesota. He said, I listened to Neil Kinsey uh, the last few days, and he talked about the calcium-magnesium total. Mm -hmm. I checked my grid samples. My average, when you add calcium and magnesium up, is 85 to 90, so a little higher than Neil wants, plus I've got 6% potassium. Uh, I have land that, due to restrictions, requires me to put on 5,000 to 6,000 gallons of steer manure, which puts on 60 additional pounds of magnesium. My 300 bushel corn only removes 10, so my problem is <laughs> only getting worse. Uh, looking for some suggestions on things I can do. Okay, we we'll can talk about that right after the break. Yeah, we'll dive into that, John. Thanks for the question. It is Farmer Friday. We're taking your calls and questions throughout the show, and we'll be right back after this. Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. My mom's got a new case I extractor and 
It can do it all. Bail hay all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Shift like a race car? Steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her Case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out CaseIH.com. This is Officer Jones calling for backup. 10-4, location? Graber, back 40. Looks like we've got Palmer, Amaranth, Kosha, some common water hemp. Resistant weeds. Copy that. You'll need a good tank mix partner. I'm sending tough 5 EC. Come out with your hands up! Guys, we're surrounded. Crack down on repeat offenders. Add Tough 5EC to your post-emergence tank mix. Learn more at toughonweeds.com. Always read and follow label directions. Tough is a registered trademark of Belgian crop protection. Maverick Corn Herbicide from Valent USA has proven to be a key part of grower success in fighting problematic weeds. But don't take it from us. Take it from agronomy manager, Nate Honek. We've seen tremendous weed control that was sprayed in dry, hot conditions with uh, very little rain within two weeks after application. Very easy application. Definitely tank mix well with the various products we used. Visit valent.com backslash maverick to learn more about Maverick Corn Herbicide. Always read and follow label instructions. Farmer Friday at Ag PhD Radio. Our phone lines are open 844 44AGPHD. And you can also email us radio at agphd.com. Let me finish up this question first and we'll get to our first uh, uh, guest on the phone lines here. Uh, so, John over in Southeast Minnesota has got a bunch of cattle manure that he is required to put on some ground. And you think about this, if you're renting ground, sometimes there's some some caveats to renting the ground. Well, his apparently is you have to take five to 6,000 gallons of the manure. And, you know, when you think about this, if you do that for a long, long time, and I understand the intention was to build fertility up, to keep fertility high, and probably because the, the owner of the land has a big feedlot and they want to uh, be able to have a place to go out there manure. I totally understand that. But this looks like a situation where you need to talk to the landlord and say, hey, here's what's happening out here. Could we find some other acres to put this on perhaps to, well, uh, yeah. to spread it out a little bit yeah. more? But wait a second. Hold up. I, I mean, we're only talking about, well, we are talking about an extra roughly 50 pounds of magnesium beyond what's getting used. Okay. So how could you use more, number one, well, raising more crop? Taking so, more so go plant up to material off. Eighteen hundred bushels of corn per year. No, but I'm saying you could lessen that from fifty extra pounds to thirty or forty, maybe someday. And especially if you took more plant material off, cut for silage, that kind of thing. So that's one thing. But the other thing is, let's say that magnesium is going up. Okay, not the end of the world. You just need to make sure your calcium keeps going up, your potassium stays up where it is and more, and these other nutrients go along with it. It's it, 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 Darren, is almost the same kind of thing when we first started applying more phosphorus on our ground. What did we realize? Well, the phosphorus helped, but it only helped to some point because now we ended up with shortages on zinc and copper and stuff like that. So if you have to do this then I'd just say you got to look at all the other nutrients and try to keep everything in balance and just continue raising stuff over time. 
If you do that, eventually you're going to get to a point where you don't need any manure, any fertilizer, anything to raise a crop, and you could just mine stuff out of the ground for a while. Well, his his idea was, what do you think about gypsum in this case where I could have that sulfur out yep. there because I'm actually not getting, I'm just barely getting enough sulfur out of the manure, so I, I could probably use some more sulfur, okay. but I could keep raising the calcium to your point. Well, yeah, yep, you could do that, and then that also would flush out some of the magnesium because magnesium when combined with that sulfate that's in the gypsum, that forms magnesium sulfate. That's Epsom salts. That'll leach out. So yes, you could do some of that, but then you have to be careful about, well, what is my calcium level and make sure you're kind of keeping that in balance. So if you didn't need the calcium and you just wanted to get rid of the magnesium, you could use some elemental sulfur too. When, during the Kinsey seminar here in the last three days, one of the things Neil often says is it takes two pounds of sulfur to remove one pound of magnesium. Only takes one pound of sulfur to remove one pound of sodium, by contrast, but two pounds of sulfur to remove one pound of magnesium. So you'd have to put 100 pounds of sulfur on to remove 50 pounds of magnesium. That would be a way to go as well. All right, thanks for the question, John. We appreciate that. Let's get to the phone lines here. We've got Brandon Honeycutt with us right now, who is a Commodity Classic co-chair this year. Brandon, are you stressed out? Are you getting any sleep at night? You got a lot of details here coming up in a big meeting. <laughs> yeah, we do have a big meeting coming up, a big week, and uh, just putting the final touches on to to have a great event for everybody who's coming down. You know, the timing of Commodity Classic is great because uh, for most farmers in the country, they've got a little while before they're going to be out in the field a bunch. I know some of the guys in the south have already got some crop in the ground, but uh, for us growers up north like like yourself, uh, farming up in Nebraska, uh, you got a little bit of time. So you got got time to do Commodity Classic and get back home and, and perhaps make some changes with some of the information you learn. Yeah, that's one of the great things about the timing of Commodity Classic for those of us in the Corn Belt is you're right. We do get to go down there, see some new technologies. You know, maybe maybe put those final touches on the decisions we're making, whether it's for seed or or crop protection products or any of the biologicals that are out there, and maybe make those changes going into a, a year like this. Especially those of us coming off a really dry year, maybe we'll see some new things to try out. Hopefully, we get a little more moisture this year. You know, uh, one of the things that, that farmers feel like is kind of out of their control is what's happening uh, with the USDA, what's happening with the EPA, and you've got quite an opportunity here for growers to hear from some of those leaders. Talk to us about that just a minute. You know, in our general session, you know, for the last number of years, we've been blessed by having the USDA Ag Secretary, uh, Vilsack, or even when Sunny Purdue was here, come down, speak to the group, and just kind of give a layout of the land, maybe make some big announcements. And this year, actually, Administrator Regan's going to be there from the EPA, and we know there's been a lot of news lately coming out of the EPA. Um, you know, it's that opportunity to hear what they have to say, maybe ask them some questions, and hopefully hear some good news while we're down there. So it's a unique opportunity that you don't get at every every trade show or every farm show, obviously. No, you're right. There, there are a bunch of speakers that are going to be there from a, a wide range of topics and uh, industries. It, it's always been fun for me to to hear some of those when I go to Commodity Classic. I'll be down again this year, and uh, it's hard though sometimes, Brandon, because there are so many great opportunities for learning and education that uh, I've always found like I just can't get them all in. I've got to pick and choose a little bit. Yeah, that, it is that unique opportunity we have where, 
you know, if you want to learn about something, go to a mini what's new or one of the early riser sessions, or even on that Saturday morning this year, we're having the FBI in talk cybersecurity. There's a lot of information. And if you don't find any of the information you need, I, I don't know what to say about that because we try to make sure we have information for everybody. Um, and if you're an early riser, like I mentioned, you can get it, get to the early riser sessions. If you want to kind of spread it out through the day, you can pick and choose what you want to go here and, and hopefully there's something for everyone, which that is our goal. Well, there absolutely is in Houston. Of course, you've got NASA there. You've got the big Houston rodeo going on. There's uh, just a ton of things. Uh, I, I saw that we just landed a spacecraft on the moon yesterday. You've got a NASA astronaut that's going to be speaking at Commodity Classic. And even a tour of NASA that I, a lot of folks I've talked to said, yeah, we're going to tour NASA when we're down there. Uh, it's pretty cool. I, I was thinking uh, new frontiers in agriculture, your theme this year. Boy, you couldn't have, couldn't have done that any better. You know, it's almost like we just timed all of that just, just to coincide with Commodity Classic. But, you know, it's that unique opportunity in Houston. You know, we've got the two trade show floors. You're right. We've got um, NASA there. We've got the astronaut uh, coming in to speak at general session. Um, you know, anybody who's – if you've never been to, to the Space Center down there in Houston, I highly recommend it. Um, they've got a they've got a they did last, a couple years ago had a very good display on farming on Mars, which was very interesting. So it just kind of all ties together, and just as we're seeing the evolution in in farming to more um, technology, you know, throughout the years, that this is the right time and the right place to to be in Houston. Well, farming on Mars might be kind of fun. I, I've got it under good authority. There is zero pigweed on Mars, so we'd at least have a fresh start there. Uh, all kidding aside, the trade show at Commodity Classic is what, for many farmers, you're pretty famous for, to, to be able to pull all those new machines and all those head people from these companies together in one place where farmers can see it all is really impressive, Brandon. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. The trade show uh, for Commodity Classic is that unique opportunity where you're right. The if you want to talk to an engineer, if you want to talk to one of the one of the leaders within any of the companies, they're going to be there. You know, those questions you want to get answered, whether you're a smaller farmer or a larger farmer, it doesn't really matter. You know, we we want this to be an opportunity for everybody to get their questions answered. You know, whether it's, you're running John Deere or Case or or cloth equipment, all the way to whatever seed company you're dealing with, you can ask those questions, get them answered, get the right right response for what is needed on your farm. That That's what our goal is. Well, Brian and I are super excited about this year's Commodity Classic. We're going to be down there in Houston February 28th through March 2nd. There's still time to get registered. I, I've just been looking online. I've got some other friends that at the last minute are deciding to come. We're still finding hotel rooms. No problem. There's plenty of places to stay down in Houston. Look forward to seeing everybody down there and look forward to talking to you down there too, Brandon. Thanks for being on. Well, thank you very much. Looking forward to seeing you. You bet. It is a Farmer Friday here on Ag PhD Radio. If you've got an agronomic question we can help you with, we would love to. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. If you look close enough, you can see the hidden potential within your fields. That's why an agro-liquid nutrition plan starts with the crop and identifies the precise combination of primary nutrients while focusing on the support of secondary and micronutrients. So every nutrient is working in harmony for your crop to reach its full potential. 
maximizing growth while offering lower use rates. Apply less, expect more, precisely. Find an AgroLiquid dealer at agroliquid.com. Can you predict the future? I can't. That's why when I'm planting soybeans, I treat with Heads Up Seed Treatment. With more than 15 years of research, Heads Up offers proven protection against both white mold and sudden death syndrome. So no matter what the year throws at you, you've already taken that first step to be prepared. Don't let your beans suffer from disease when they're just starting to look their best. Tell your seed dealer you need Heads Up Seed Treatment. Learn more at headsupst.com. Every season, you're collecting yield data on virtually every acre of your farm. But what good is your data if you never use it? Put it to work with Verify. Verify takes yield data directly from your combine and instantly generates variable rate fertility maps based on crop removal, ensuring your crops get what they need right where they need it, no matter what equipment you run. Go to Verify.com to find an expert to help you get started. That's V-R-A-F-Y.com. The hard-working, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly, and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. Because the challenges you face are getting bigger every year, BASF is committed to helping with more than boots on the ground. We're committed to boots in the mud, boots on the steps of your truck, your tractor, your combine, the linoleum tiles of your coffee shop, the concrete of your co-op, the gravel in your shed. So we can listen, learn firsthand, help right now to ensure success. BASF, helping you do the biggest job on earth. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. Got a lot of questions that have come in on email radio at agphd.com. We'll get to a bunch of those here as we go. Also, our phone lines are open, 844-44-AG-PHD. Brian, got this one from Dan. He said, I was watching your Kinsey workshop online this week, and Neil mentioned raising soil test K levels is difficult when your pH is over 6.5. Now, I've seen in his material that says uh, with potash, you should only spring apply potash if your pH is over 6.5. I know you guys have a lot of experience raising K levels, so just curious what your thoughts are here. Most of mine are around 3%. I've got a 14 to 18 CEC, so kind of a medium textured soil. And it wouldn't take a whole lot of pounds for me to get over 4% base saturation K, so I'd like to do it the right way. I've got access to feedlot manure. I have, obviously, access to That's commercial great. fertilizer, too. Yep. Uh, so just kind of curious what you're thinking about. Uh, what would you do in my situation? Well, I'd use the feedlot manure as much as I can. 
we're going to limit ourselves, and what we would recommend you to do is limit yourself based on salt. Now, how much salt can you get by with? That's a good question. We talk often about how Midwest Labs, right in the bottom of their tests, will say 500 pounds of salt per acre per year if you get 25 inches of rain or more. What we've kind of found on our own farm is the heavier the soil, the more salt you can withstand, even if you don't get lots of rainfall. So I don't know exactly what to tell you there. All I'm saying is absolutely use some manure. As far as you can't build soil test K when the soil pH is high, we have been able to prove that you can. Now, I just say this for Neil, just like for us, we do things, a lot of things based on experience, the people we're working with, our own farm. And, you know, we've been doing this for a lot of years. Here's what I've learned. When you start talking about guys that have a, let's call it seven and a half to eight pH, most of those soils, not all, but most of those soils are heavy. If it's a heavy soil, it takes a lot more potassium to build than it does a light soil. So if you have, let's say, a 6 pH, a lot of times, not again, not always, it might, it's probably a little bit lighter soil and stuff moves through a little bit better. That's part of the reason why the pH goes down is because calcium gets stripped out over time, which shows you that we've had drainage there. I, I mean, it's moved through the soil. If stuff can move through, then usually that's a little bit lighter soil without ridiculous amounts of magnesium. The more magnesium and the heavier the ground, um, just the higher pH we often end up dealing with. So anyway, where I'm going with this is over the years, we've talked to a lot of people that said, well, I'm putting all kinds of fertilizer on and I don't understand why it's not building. I'm like, well, look at the yields you're pulling off and look at how heavy your soil is. So yeah, you are building, but you're barely making a dent in it for what you have to do. So, I, I mean, we've had many times where we put on 500 to 800 pounds of potash to actually build something. But we don't find a lot of people are real excited about throwing 500 to 800 pounds of potash on. We've gone as high as 1,400 pounds of potash. So all those things can be done. Um, and as far as putting potash on in the spring, a lot of people talk about chloride. I don't personally worry much about chloride unless you got a lot of sodium in your soil. Sodium chloride, yes, that's a problem. Putting a bunch of chloride out there when you have poor drainage, that could potentially be a problem. So the, the more I'm worried about that, the more I would say I want to get the potash on in the fall or as early as I can so I have less potential issue with my seed and my young seedlings in the spring. So we're pretty big believers most of the time in putting on the potash in the fall if we're dealing with a medium or heavy soil. The only time where we really push people to put it on in the spring is if they have very light ground in an area where the ground doesn't freeze, they get lots of rain, and we're just super worried about leaching that out. That's a rarity though. So usually we want to put it on a little on the early side. And yes, you can build. You just have to put quite a few pounds on the heavier your soil is. All right. Thanks for the question. Okay. Get this one. And this, this is an interesting one. And I really appreciate this question. Uh, this comes from Southern Illinois. And the grower asks, uh, all right, in January of 2021, 
We took soil samples off a field, sent them to Midwest Labs CEC 9.1 to 9.9. In November of 2023, two years later, we sampled the same field in the same areas. This time the CEC was 6.1 to 6.9, same lab. In November of 2021, we applied two and a half tons per acre of lime. So a couple months before the first time we soil sampled. Uh, would that have thrown off our CEC at the time? Is the six range more true to what we have? Otherwise, <laughs> if the lime had no impact, why would our CEC drop so much in two years? Well, we're, we're talking about three different on CEC. So you wouldn't think much of it. Like in this case, that's a 33% drop. So the percentage sounds bad, but three doesn't sound like a lot. Because if, let's say, I got a 30 CEC on my farm, and it varies between 27 and 33, I go, yeah, it's pretty close. We're in the ballpark. Okay? So you see where I'm going with this. I don't think it's that big a difference, but I do think this. How you pulled the samples and exactly where you pulled the samples is probably what we're seeing here. There is probably some difference. I get that it's the same general area of the field, but here's an example I often give. Okay, almost no one is doing one-acre grid soil sampling in corn and soybeans like we are. We're doing one-acre grids for soil sampling. But think about how big an acre is. It's roughly the size of a football field. Okay, so Darren and I are from a small town. If you go to any small-town football game on a Friday night in the fall, you see that there are huge variances in the football field because I know I should be watching the football game, but I'm looking at the field because I'm an agronomist, you know, and I look at the field and I go, Ooh, they got this problem over here and that problem over there and this problem over here. Well, that's all in one acre. So if you're moving around a little bit, sometimes even a hundred feet one way or the other, you might see that difference from a nine to a six on CEC. And if you pull your soil core five and a half inches deep versus six and a half inches deep, well, that can make a big difference too because now you just pulled a little more subsoil with that one where you got just a hair deeper. So I, I, I don't truly think that you've had that much variance, but I'd like to see the soil tests from 21 and 23, and maybe there is some difference in what you had for calcium and magnesium and sodium, some of the things that really make the difference on soil pH. So if I look at the soil test, maybe I can tell you something, but I still think you either pulled a little bit different depth or a little bit different spot. All right. Thanks for the question. This one in from Ryan. He said, what is the best way to check for a compaction layer? We're in West Central Illinois, and this field has been disked at the same depth since the 1980s. Does this likely mean there's a compaction layer? The answer to that is yes. <laughs> a local farmer told me freeze-thaw action will break it up. Is this correct? The answer is no. In fact, I've seen where the wagon trail has gone through in some of the prairie land in our state, and the wagon trail compaction is still there. Uh, so, no. 
freestyle on its own is not going to completely eliminate right. it. It could help. It could help, but yeah, probably not going to solve it. All right. So to break up this compaction, we've got a four bottom plow, have been considering buying a ripper. Just kind of curious, will a ripper work in untilled corn stubble? Does it need to be a disc ripper? All this kind of thing. So first of all, Ryan, the way I like to look for a compaction layer is with a shovel. Uh, I just like to stick a shovel in the ground, dig, and see what I got. If you've got a backhoe, if you've got a skid loader, if you've got some way of digging down in there, you could dig a root pit if you wanted to to do that. But I just use a shovel. I just go around the field, see how far I can stick my shovel in. You could spend some money and get a penetrometer if you want to see exactly how compacted it is. But uh, a shovel works pretty good for me. I use a tile spade. Then in terms of breaking that soil up, I guess that's up to you. You can try a couple different things. I'd try what you have before you buy something different, but uh, see what see what does the job for you. Well, make sure you're getting just below that compaction layer to get rid of it. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Are you ready for better efficiency, more productivity, higher yields? Then you're ready for John Deere Precision Technology, which starts with three core pieces. First, a G5 display gives fast views of your work and a window to future technology. A Starfire receiver gives you sub-inch repeatable accuracy without an RTK base station. And a JD-Link modem gives you a live view of your entire operation. Get precise and talk with your John Deere dealer or visit johndeere.com backslash Effortlessly manage your farm fertility with Verify. Verify takes yield data directly from your combine and instantly generates variable rate fertility maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether it's building soil, balancing nutrition, or maintaining fertility. And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Join Verify today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. Maverick Corn Herbicide from Valent USA has proven to be a key part of grower success in fighting problematic weeds. But don't take it from us, take it from farmer Rob Schaefer. Residuals have become a big part of our chemical programs with trying to battle water hemp and also mare's tail is our big one. It's done a real good job of controlling those. You don't have to, you know, put a bunch of gallons in your sprayer, cover a lot of acres that way. Visit valent.com backslash maverick to learn more about Maverick Corn Herbicide. Always read and follow label instructions. What's the difference between John, who bought Enlist One Herbicide, an Instinct Next Gen Nitrogen Stabilizer, and Tom, who bought Enlist One and Instinct Next Gen and used True Choice? Only about $5,000 extra in Tom's pocket. Choose True Choice and get up to 10% back. It's really as simple as that. Start saving at Corteva.com slash save more. On your farm, you spend thousands on fertilizer every season. But how do you know if any nutrient you apply is paying for itself? Build a fertility plan like never before with Verify. With Verify's soil point to yield analysis, you can automatically see the connection between your soil test and yield data to see which fertilizer dollars will make you money and which won't. Go to Verify.com to get started today. That's V-R-A-F-Y dot com. 
Control the toughest weeds with overlapping residuals. Lock in the longest lasting control for your soybean fields. A pre-emergence application of an authority brand herbicide plus a post application of Anthem Max herbicide establishes the overlapping residual control key to safeguarding your soybean seasons. This pairing is a heavy duty economical strategy against Palmer Amaranth, Waterhemp, Kosha, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or lockin.ag.fmc.com today. Always read and follow all label directions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, along with my brother Darren. We are live in the Morton studio today on a Farmer Friday. If you'd like to call into the show, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD, or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We're going to go back to the phone lines now. We've got Aaron calling in from Maryland. Aaron, how are you today? Doing good. How are you? Excellent. All right, I'm looking at your soil test that you just emailed in. What are your questions? Well, I mainly had a question about the K. Yep. But everything else seemed all right. I didn't know if anything else raised a red flag to you. But I can see the K is really bad. <laughs> uh, give me a little background here. Why is your phosphorus so high and your K is so low? We have a lot of chickens in our area. So most of the time, the only only fertilizer that will get put down is about two tons in the spring. <laughs> yep. Yep, I kind of wondered if it was a manure source that was low on K, high on phosphorus. See, we have the exact opposite with our with the dairy manure we get to use. It's high on K and low on phosphorus, so we have to constantly supplement with commercial phosphorus to keep our levels up. And basically, you're in the exact opposite position. You need to supplement with commercial potassium to keep those K levels up. Yeah, they're very low. So for our listeners here, we're talking light soil, roughly 5 Cation exchange capacity, five, six, seven, right in there. And the potassium levels are as low as 28 parts per million, as high as 70 parts per million. And on our base saturation potassium test, 1.4% to 2.7%. But yeah, it's just flat out not enough K to raise the crop you're after. And then besides that, your magnesium is really low. So we were doing this Neil Kinsey seminar the last three days. Neil came up and, and we talked and Neil did and some other people too. And he's real big on talking about, hey, if you have a light soil like this, you can tighten it with more magnesium. And you, you got to make sure you have enough magnesium out there to raise the crop. But then besides that, we're talking, we'd like to get that magnesium percentage up to around 20% if we can. And I just see your magnesium levels are pretty low. You got a 74 parts per million, 80 parts per million. So if it's me, I'm continuing to supplement with a little magnesium sulfate. Or like in the case of you've got some low pHs uh, below 6.3, I'd consider just a little bit, and you don't need much, but a little bit of dolomitic lime. That'll have a fair amount of magnesium besides the calcium. Your pH will go up just a little bit. You get some more magnesium out there. It should be real good. And then you just have to constantly be fighting those leachables, sulfur, boron, nitrate, because they're going to continue going away as you get rainfall each year. They're just they're leachable in that light of soil. Oh, and then the last one was manganese. It, it's on the low side. You're 7 to 10 parts per million, so I'd be adding a little manganese as you move forward as well. Put some manganese sulfate on at some point and start building those levels up. So there are actually quite a few things, but I'm super happy with your, your phosphorus levels, your iron levels, great, your copper levels. I mean, all those things are excellent. And your, your zinc levels, 
they're 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 good, not great, but good. So I mean, you have many things, and if you look at those nutrients I just mentioned, none of those are leachable. So phosphorus doesn't move. I mean, now it can move when you get the the parts per million up tremendously. And I'm going to bring this up just because you're in Maryland, in that Delmarva region, people get really worried about phosphate in the water. And it's, we find that phosphorus is not leachable when you have a hundred parts per million. But when you start getting 250 plus, now it has more potential to move down. So I, I, I just kind of be keeping an eye on that. You're not like in this huge danger zone where you're at right now. But when you start talking 200 parts per million of phosphorus, just, you know, let's, that, 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 that's, a, that's definitely all you need for your crop. Put it that way. Right. So I was thinking about just trying a trial on that farm and bringing it up to 8% base saturation with potash in one shot. Okay. And I don't, I don't know if that would mess up anything. No, I, I no, to, it won't. I'd have to put down, I figured it up to the 560 pounds of potash yeah. in it, one area to bring it up y- in one shot. And I was going to yep. do that on one of the higher magnesium spots. Yes. So, but the problem is I, the ratio would still be off a little bit from the two to one or one to one you usually talk about yep it'd be like a 1.3 to one i'm not sure if that's you know that big of a deal if the crop would be used because you know the crop would be using quite a bit exactly and that's the whole thing is in your light soil you don't have much there now you're never going to have like lots so when when you talk about 500 i mean you're going from almost nothing to eight percent if I was going from almost nothing to 8%, I'd have to put on maybe thousands of pounds. So, yeah, it's just a lot different situation. And, no, I wouldn't worry too much about that ratio, the magnesium to potassium. But I would say your magnesium is not great right now in some of these spots. It's good. Um, it's just not, uh, well, like I said, if, if you ever have to do any liming, just use dol- make sure you're using dolomitic lime. Let's just make sure we're keeping that magnesium up as, as good as we can, up near 20%. That'll help you retain some moisture. It'll help you overall in your soil. Would KMAG be worth looking into for Absolutely. this year? Or do you think you'd just be waiting until like, okay. Yep, okay. yep, yep. KMAG is what great. You- that That would absolutely work. What do you think I should put down to, you know, benefit this year is kind of where I'm at. Well, I own this ground, so I'm going to sure. farm it, you know, so I'm not really worried about putting money into it. It's yeah. just putting the money in the right spot. Yeah, it's just here's here's the whole thing, Aaron. You have, like I was saying a minute ago, built up the non-leachables. You got your phosphorus up, your zinc is is pretty good. Um, you know, could be a little more. Your iron's up, your copper's up, all these things that don't move, you got them up already. With the potassium, it's somewhat leachable in your ground. So I get that you want to go to 8% base saturation K because we often talk about, well, that would be excellent. The concern I have is how long is that going to last in your soil? I don't know. So if you want to try a small area, great. And just keep monitoring that over the next couple, three years and see how long it actually lasted. My concern is you may have to put some potassium out mid-season just like you, you need to do with boron and sulfur and nitrogen because your soil is so light and in your area of the country, you usually get a fair amount of rainfall. So I think you've already done a lot of the great things. About the only thing I would say as more of a long-term thing is just you got pH 
pH down at 5.758. And it all depends on the crop you're going to raise. If it's corn, um, it just doesn't do great at those pHs. It's not horrible, but I can show you plenty of data where we'd really like that up a little bit. You get it up into the sixes even, you're fine. And for as light as your soil is, you only have to spend a few dollars on lime. It's not going to take much, and you're going to be there. So you just have to keep monitoring that. Okay, how much lime would you think? Because what I was thinking about doing is just getting through this year and then lime it going into soybeans next year. Yeah, but 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 here's the thing, Aaron. I, I mean, for us, where we farm heavy ground, we're talking tons of lime. You only need two, 300 pounds of lime, most likely, and it's going to do it. So I would literally do it this spring. It, it, so what, okay. what are we talking corn or what crop are we talking here? Yeah, it's going into corn. Okay, going into corn, there's no question about it. I'd, I'd get a little bit of lime. Even if it's 100 pounds of pelletized lime or something, just get a little bit of lime out there. That's all you need because of your light soil. So it, it it's not much. Would it be across the whole farm with it or just where the pH is like 5.758? Well, probably just where the pH is 5.758. Where it's 5.758, I can... I'm not going to promise you a great ROI, but you should get a good ROI on that. Where you're already at six three, I don't think you're going to get a you're going to have an advantage there. Okay, because that's where you know I'm, I'm not going to say the corn market has me nervous, but I am trying to conserve <laughs> dollars where I can. <laughs> oh, I understand, and that's exactly why I'm talking to you about like with this potassium thing, on my ground, I don't mind it. It's a long-term investment. It's never leaching out. Never. And not in a thousand years. But in your ground, that potassium could leach out. So that's what I'm I'm a little worried about. All right. And then uh, one more quick question. What would you recommend for planting population there with the lower K, even if I build <laughs> it up this year? Well, you, I was thinking 28. Sure. Thousand. What's your yield goal? Uh, prob- I'd like to get 200 on that farm, but it, it, anywhere between 150 and 200, I'd be happy with. Okay. I just If you want to run 28, you can probably run 28. You can build potassium up in that light soil and get it into the plant very quickly, so I'm not worried about that. Uh, but I am concerned about, if, you, if you're, we're talking 150 to 200, honestly, you could probably get by with 24,000 planting population. You'd be just fine. So at least try a little bit and humor me at 24. See how that turns out and let us know. Hey, Aaron, we get a run, but thanks for the call. What's the difference between John, who bought Enlist One herbicide, an Instinct Next Gen nitrogen stabilizer, and Tom, who bought Enlist One and Instinct Next Gen and used True Choice? Only about $5,000 extra in Tom's pocket. Choose True Choice and get up to 10% back. It's really as simple as that. Start saving at Corteva.com slash save more. Higher yield potential starts with the season-long systemic disease protection of Zyway brand fungicides from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides protect corn crops from key foliar diseases and support physiological benefits that help develop healthier, higher yielding corn for a difference you'll appreciate at harvest. Visit your FMC retailer for an at-plant advantage. Always read and follow all label directions. Your farm data platform might let you manage your fertilizer plan by helping you set sample points, determine management zones, or create fertilizer recommendations. With Verify, you can do all that. 
But what Verify does that no one else can is take yield data straight from your combine, correlate this info to soil test points, and immediately generate variable rate fertilizer maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether you want to build soil levels, balance your field for uniform nutrition, or maintain fertility levels by simply applying what you removed at harvest. And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Sign up for your Verify account today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. That's V-R-A-F-Y dot com. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. For the smallest investment with the biggest impact on yield, upgrade your planter with Germinator Closing Wheels from Farm Shop MFG. To see how we stack up against the competition at a fraction of the cost, call us at 712-520-6051. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio, and it is Farmer Friday today, so we're taking your calls and agronomic questions throughout the whole show. You can email us, radio at agphd.com, or give us a phone call, 844-44-AG-PHD. Get this one in from Brandon. He said, I'm a young guy wanting to learn more about farming and soil management, and I live on a farm, but don't really understand the soil like I should. I appreciate your show, uh, but a lot of times... Some of the stuff's going over my head. So uh, what do you recommend for me to, to increase my knowledge on soils and agronomy? Uh, do, you rec- do you recommend Neil Kinsey, things like the workshop you just had? Is that too advanced for somebody that's just getting started? What are kind of the first steps along the way? I, I mean, honestly, if you just watched our show you could you could go to for example acres tv and just pull up whatever topic it is you want and then you can see a whole bunch of videos on that um, if you read neil kinsey's book like four times like read it once a month for four months so that'd be I, hands-on agronomy by neil kinsey yep but i mean we're talking about these things every day and it it's all learning is repetition repetition is learning so you just have to keep going over it and over it and over it and eventually you're going to get there and then it becomes second nature and you're good and here's the other thing i realize it's a little over your head maybe it's kind of it feels like it's kind of out there and it's maybe a little hard to grasp but let's face it when we start talking soil fertility what is more important on your farm than that i, I mean drainage maybe um you know variety selection certainly isn't more important but i see farmers all the time spending lots of time looking at plots and oh we're talking about this variety and that variety 
I'll promise you, if you have a great fertility program, that trumps variety selection hands down. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it isn't important to get good varieties, but you just give me 10 pretty good varieties. I'll just take 10, and you can try to pick this year's top winner. Good luck. And I'm going to win 10 times out of 10 when I have the best fertility program out there. But yeah, there there's a lot when it comes to agronomy, but if if you really know it, boy, you can do well on the farm. All right, we we put together a, a lot of the meetings that we do, we put together a list of here's here's what to look for on your soil test, here's the numbers that we're trying to reach and and the ranges, those kinds of things. And when you start with that and then you pull soil samples on your own farm, that's the best way that I've found to learn more about soils because then I just start going through and we've got a simple uh, 13-step process. Here's the first thing you look at. Here's the next thing you look at and so forth on a soil test. And when you're doing that on your own soils and then starting to make some adjustments uh, and then just looking at how things change in your field, that that's the best way for me in terms of learning about soils and then just do some digging, just constantly do some digging out in your field. Hey, what's the soil structure like here where things are good? What's the soil structure where it's not? And, and you'll, you'll just learn stuff as you go. Yeah. Lots of stuff. It's fun. I like being out there. I like, I like learning things in the field. I like seeing it with my own eyes. Uh, That helps me connect the, the book learning or school type learning with, with what's really happening out there. Hey, thanks for the question. Good luck to you. And as you get specific questions on that, uh, please feel free to reach out. All right, get this one from Travis. And Brian, this is going to test your knowledge a little bit because this is about sugar cane production. Uh, <laughs> it said, I'm a new and self-taught sugar cane farmer. It's my third year. Uh, I just have six acres of sugar cane, not a huge amount, but we're growing it for a distillery. Um, everything right now is done by hand and we're no-till. Uh, but we're going to use herbicides here as well. We've had some trouble with uh, broadleaf weeds and grasses. Uh, I've got recommendations from the University of Florida and uh, just wanted some thoughts on on some of this stuff. Also plan on getting a soil test done after harvest this year. We're going to send it to a lab that will get all the things we want because our current tests don't have cation exchange capacity, don't have micros, don't have sodium, uh, don't have nitrogen, and don't have base saturation. Boy, I don't know what your tests have got. <laughs> I'm kind of curious to what the tests even have. But, yeah, I agree with you. And PNK. Getting a complete test would be really good. Um, anyway, you said um, we did not get a pre-emerge herbicide down. We're waiting to spray broadleaf weeds out with Armazon and Azolam, which A-S-U-L-A-M, which is a carbamate. Um, and the university recommended we put on Yukon, uh, which is halosulfuron or permit plus dicamba, and then also add 2,4-D to that post-emerge. So if I put out dicamba, 2,4-D, and halosulfuron, can I mix fulvic acid with it? And would the fulvic yes. acid help the sugar cane recover from all this herbicide that's going on, <laughs> or would it potentially make it worse? Um, it might help it recover just a little bit. I don't know that you're going to see a lot of difference there. But, yeah, I mean, you throw dicamba and 2,4-D on it, that's two growth regulators in an area of the country where things are already growing like, <laughs> we often say, growing like weeds. So, they're growing crazy already because of your high humidity and your high heat. So that's our concern whenever we start talking about the growth regulators, dicamba and 2,4-D and crop recovery. 
But yeah, I mean, honestly, I am no sugarcane expert. So I, I don't know exactly what you should use on that crop. But I will tell you this, when we, I mean, all those products you mentioned, other than the Azalam, we have used and we've used very extensively. So the thing to keep in mind with the Yukon, it's an ALS. The HPPD, okay, great. It's got some soil residual. I like that. Dicamba, 2,4-D, very familiar with those. But if you start, I don't know what kind of rates you're talking about. And I don't know why you need to mix the dicamba together with the 2,4-D. But always be concerned about the drift and volatility of both dicamba and 2,4-D because they can really move. Yeah. Other things, too, you look at sugarcane, Prowl is labeled pre-emerge. And it's probably one of the better Johnson grass products that you're going to find. Yep. You you also have Spartan. You also have Valor. So you've got the yeah. good PPOs for broadleaf control. Uh, you could use Command. Uh, so there would be another product that actually does pretty good on Johnson grass. You got a lot of different options there that are real common for for other crops that we've got 50 years of experience on a lot of those things, uh, some of them 30 years of experience on. So, yeah, there there are some good options for weed control, but I, I agree with you. You said we didn't get the pre on and, and weeds got away. That's going to happen if you can get that pre out there. That would sure help you. Hey, thanks for the thanks for the questions. Really appreciate that. And good luck to you with the sugarcane operation. All right. Um Got a couple of soil tests here. This one comes in from Phil. Uh, he said, hey, guys, uh, I'll give, give you a little field history here on this. I had barley out there in 2022. 2023 was too wet to seed until late June, early July. So I put some cover crop out there. Uh, and then I cut and baled it for feed in the fall. My idea was I want to increase the water holding capacity, but 2024... Uh, We'll see. It's adequate moisture wait, out there, wait, right? Wait, whoa, 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 stop. He wants to increase the water holding capacity? Yep. Okay. The CEC is already 26 to 32. Your magnesium is already as high as you want to push it. It's 22%. Yep. This you got is sodium. You got so I understand, but you got sodium problems. You're at four or five percent. That's already okay. limiting your yield. And the organic matter, did you see? Oh yeah. Organic matter is three to five percent in the top six inches. It's five percent. So his, his main question is, was it just too dry? For the soil solution to feed my crop, yep. or do I have an imbalance yep. that's affecting the crop? Yes and yes. So on the phosphorus, your level is really low. That's the thing. You're 10 parts per million to 16 parts per million. Very low. The potassium isn't so bad. You got 468 in the top six inches, 243 in the next six inches. You're at 4.6% in the top six inches. That is not bad. I mean, we need it high. Because potassium is, you just need tremendous amounts, and it goes in with water. So if you don't have as much water, you don't get as much in. So I like keeping my my potassium level up, but it is in that range in the top six inches at least of between one to one and two to one with magnesium. It's you as far as those nutrients, you've done everything that you can, but your phosphorus is really low. That's probably the number one yield limiting factor that I see here. And if you want to increase moisture holding water holding capacity don't do it with more nutrients uh like calcium and magnesium do it by building organic matter but you're already at five percent that's not bad but you gotta try to figure out how do we get that sodium out of there you're gonna need 
tile and then you, that, you got all that sulfur that you've got you've got all kinds of sulfur in your soil it's going to go with the sodium to flush out so if it's me i'm tiling that ground it's going to fix a lot of my problems hey thanks for the question we really appreciate that and thanks to you for listening today be sure to join us again each weekday for more ag phd radio